and thank you for joining us. I'm Brian Vernellis, Digital Director here at the Holland Sentinel, and we thought we'd do a special edition of From the Newsroom. March is National Reading Month, um, and uh, we thought uh, the staff here would take some time to pick out their favorite book and share it with you, our listeners. So we will start first with Assistant Features Editor, Sarah Heth. All right, the book I chose, this was very difficult because okay. <laughs> there's a lot of books that I could pick as recommendations or favorite books, but this is one of my all-time favorite books. Um, it's Anne of Green Gables by L.M. Montgomery. Um, it's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, it's, it's one of those books that I feel stands the test of time. I read it when I was 13, and then I read it like five years ago. And both times, all the times that I've read it, I've loved it. Um, and all the times that I've read it, I've gotten like stuck in the story of what's happening and um, really fallen in love with the character of Anne Shirley, who is the title character. And um, it's about a little girl who is adopted at the age of like 13 or 14, 12 or something like that. She's very young, but she's not a baby. <laughs> um, she's adopted in the 1800s in a little town in Canada. So you get a lot of the um, world of sort of the frontier idea, living in a little town, um, horses and buggies, walking miles to their friend's house, that kind of thing. Um, and the character of Anne is really interesting, the whole town, and obviously the, the couple who are actually a brother and sister who adopt her are very affected by her coming into their world. She's very precocious. She's very imaginative. Um, and so her character uh, is really infectious, and um, it makes you want to be more like that, I think. And it affected me as a kid. I wanted to be more like her. Um, and it affected me as an adult. I loved her character and, and wanted to be more open and more like that. Um, so I highly recommend it. Um, I also um, recommend, if you're going to read it, prepare to try to read at least the first three. There's eight books total. It follows Anne from the age of like 11 or 12 until she's an old woman and she heard, well, older woman. Um, and she has a daughter named Rilla. That's her youngest daughter of like eight or something like that. And that's the person who is followed in the eighth book. So basically you have a lot you can follow her whole life <laughs> and it's very exciting um if you are interested in her as a character then you can follow her whole life which is kind of cool and something you don't get in a lot of books okay. so i highly recommend it and even if you are a man or a woman i recommend it even if you are have never read it and you're 30 or whatever i still recommend it i think some people think it's a kid's book and i mean that's kind of how it starts but it's it's awesome. It's so great. So I highly recommend it, even if you are not a child. So it sounds like Annie meets Little House on the Prairie. Uh, a little without bit. the singing. I mean, she's <laughs> she's an orphan, so yeah. there's that. She's, yeah. Um, and she affects you know the yeah. world in which she comes into. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of cool because you know it's the it's it's pro foster care, <laughs> it's pro adoption. <laughs> like there's a lot of that kind of cool stuff happening too. So. Yeah. Did you ever watch those TV series? Yes. There's a TV series yeah. from the 80s, which is very good. The first two stick to the storyline pretty well. After that, it goes kind of wonky. Um, but they also are pretty good at capturing like the essence of the story. Um, the most recent iteration on Netflix called Anne with an E failed miserably at keeping not only the essence, but also the actual 
information from the books. <laughs> like it wow. just completely rose off the rails at some point. I didn't okay. even watch the second season because the first season went just totally veered off of okay. the book. I mean, the, if yeah. you like the book series, you probably won't like and with an E. <laughs> okay. If you didn't like the book series, which I've literally never met anybody who's read the books who didn't like them, um, but you might, or if you haven't read it, you probably will like Anne with an E because that's often how it works. But don't watch Anne with an E. <laughs> watch the the Canadian series from the eighties if you must watch, and skip all of that and read the books. <laughs> and because it March is National Reading Month, it is not National Watch TV Month. Very good call. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you Sarah. Much. You're welcome. <laughs> Next up, Kate Carlson. Kate. Hello. How's it going? Good. What was your selection for National Reading Month? So my selection is more of a uh, recommendation for a series, and it's kind of referred to as the Comorian Strike series uh, by J.K. Rowling. Actually, she wrote it under a pseudonym, um, and the first book is called The Cuckoo's Calling. Okay. Yeah. I'm unfamiliar with these titles. Yeah. So um, beside from writing Harry Potter... She just was she writing this series at the same time as Harry Potter, or was this after Harry Potter? I think she wrote this after oh, okay. Harry Potter. Um, but yeah, it, it's just kind of, it was kind of cool. Uh, right after um, I graduated from high school, I was like so excited when I found out there was this new like crime fiction series by J.K. Rowling, um, and it's really kind of the same, definitely written in the same style as the Harry Potter books. Obviously. The storyline is, it doesn't reference Harry Potter at all or anything like that, but you can really kind of like, you can tell it's J.K. Rowling, which is cool. Um, My favorite part of the Harry Potter series is um, just how intricately she crafts like a a storyline over seven books. Um, It references things from like the first book and the last one, that kind of thing. And she's just really good at writing and developing characters. You really kind of fall in love with them. So um, I think those things just kind of make it like her perfect for a crime uh, sort of mystery novel. Okay. So, yeah. So it's a real, it's uh, a departure from her. um, Would this be considered a young adult book like the Harry Potter? Um, I think they're definitely considered adult books. So that's the other cool thing is um, like, People, I think, in their like mid twenties and a little older, probably like grew mm-hmm. up with Harry Potter, and now we're like old enough to um, like read these books. Okay, was there anything in particular that really resonated with you after reading those books? Uh, the mystery books, the new ones. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just, I think it's just cool seeing her style that I'm like obsessed with uh, in like a different story. Translated I've to read the Harry yeah. Potter books way too much so it's like read a different <laughs> book already. Okay. Anything else you wanted to add? Um, I heard there is a TV series for this too but that it was very bad. I have not watched it myself but my family told me that. Yeah and I, my mom and my sister are really into these books too um, and actually I got my Nana into them too which is kind of fun. We're oh, all really? reading them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she's never read Harry Potter. And she's like, these are really good books. So, like, you don't have to be a Harry Potter fan, but it's yeah. just, like, another cool thing you can check out if you happen to be a fan. But they're good they're good books for anyone, so. Okay. Thank yeah. you very much. Our next reporter, Audra Gamble. How's it going? Uh, good. 
What was your selection for National Reading Month? So surprise, surprise! Even though I'm the crime reporter, I'm not. I'm not uh, recommending a crime story. It's a so not in cold blood no. or okay. All right. <laughs> Although there's many uh, great choices in that category, and if anybody ever wants to talk about that, I'm here for it. Okay. Um, no, today I'm recommending Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, which I feel like is maybe one of those books that you read in your high school English class and you kind of refuse to read it and you just read the spark notes version but you guys are missing out because yeah. it's such a good book um so it's it's kind of a lot like it's not a quick read um but it's a dystopian novel that was written in the 1930s and it's um lots of like interesting little details about kind of consumerism and also like individuality and whether that has value in a society so kind of like some big questions, mm-hmm. but um, it's really cool to see like a really funky, involved dystopian novel that was written kind of early on in the genre's history. Okay. Um, so like there's all these little details, like instead of saying, you know, the, the year of our Lord, you know, A.D. or whatever... It's AF, which is after Ford, as in like Henry okay. Ford. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it was written post Model T uh, assembly line kind of construction. So instead of having parents, all of the people in this novel are created in test tubes, like legitimate test tubes. Um, and they have predetermined amounts of intelligence and predetermined jobs. Like none of that is. Um, up for debate and so it's kind of interesting to see how that plays out in a like a full society and it's set in the uk by the way um there's there's a lot of adult themes just as an fyi it's probably not for people younger than like 15 16 okay uh but yeah it's really good it's deep is that what the, the appealing part for you was the deep depth behind it yeah, I think so. I mean, it, I think it's kind of like a grown-up version of The Giver, um, which I think a lot of ki- kids read. I'm looking at our education reporter for confirmation of that. Yeah, okay, that cool. was That was the uh, big read book for middle schoolers last oh, year. Oh, sweet. Okay, yeah. yeah. So um, it's kind of that same idea of, like, are strong emotions, both good and bad, an important thing? Like, is it better to just be kind of numb and happy all of the time? Uh, or is okay. there... An advantage to feeling things really strongly, which I think was something that as a teenager, when I read this for my, I'm sure, high school English class, you know, really resonated with me as my very angsty teenage self, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a ref- reflection on like the beauty of things being both painful and wonderful, like that there is value in both of those things. Um, there's kind of a sad ending, spoiler alert, but uh, I think there's still like a lot of really interesting deep questions about society and about like art and culture and the value of those things. Uh, there's uh, a quote unquote savage named John who has not been raised in this society that kind of comes in and shakes the boat up a little bit, rocks the boat. <laughs> um, yeah. And he, like, he reads Shakespeare and he, you know, knows all of these cool cultural references and everybody's like, oh, that's kind of a lot, dude. Like, calm down. <laughs> um, but, like, they forgot how wonderful all of those things are because they were not exposed to them. Um, so it's kind of a reminder to, like, be conscious that that's a thing that we should value and continue to value. Yeah. Um, 
and taking advantage of having all of those resources available to us. Our next reporter, Cassie Bondi. How's it going? It's going. Business reporter? Yeah, yeah. Book lover? Yes, very with much. a magnum opus she has on her lap. <laughs> <laughs> she, she has a, a book on her that, uh, that could be used <laughs> to take out. Yeah, seriously. Uh, tell us about your book. So uh, the book I chose, and, and if you ask anyone who was sitting next to me when we came up with this idea, it took me about five and a half seconds. Um, oh, not even to, that fast. To pick a book. Um, so <laughs> Two seconds. The, the book that I recommend is uh, Stephen King's The Stand, which actually there's a specific version that I recommend, which is uh, it was published in 1991, and it is the complete and uncut version. Um, there's about two, three hundred more pages in this one, but it matters. There's there's more character development that you don't get in the original. It's Really? Yeah, it's interesting. He actually initially, this was how it was meant to be published, and there was no it wasn't like an editorial decision. It was, here's how much we think your book will sell for, here's how much it's going to cost to produce at that many pages. And at that time, he wrote it in the late 70s, early 80s. And at that time, it just didn't add up so they basically said you have to cut x number of pages for production purposes so he did it gotcha and so in the 90s when it was more cost efficient um they said you know what let's publish it the way he meant for it to go out yeah um so that's why i highly recommend this version but the book is about um most of it takes place in post-plague america okay um but it actually starts when the plague first um Escapes, so to speak, from mm-hmm. the government institution where it was created. Um, yeah, it's got a very anti-government sort of theme. He wrote it just after Nixon had been sort of ousted. Okay. Um, and he kind of said, you know what, this is my, let's just burn it all down and start over. Um, and so it's really interesting because you see all of these things that you're used to in society. You get to see them all go away. Um, and so the disease is uh, over 99% communicable. And so there are very, very few people left. And a lot of the people who are left um, die because there are accidents or murders. And so the people who are left are split into two camps, um, one of which is led by Randall Flagg, who is this dark, evil entity who comes across in several other Stephen King books. And the other is led by Mother Abigail, who is um, sort of this very, like, million-year-old woman who is in touch with God. Um, And so it's very much good versus evil. Um, And so the other interesting thing about the book, what's what's drawn to it when it's so long, um, it doesn't have any one protagonist. There's like a dozen characters that you follow evenly throughout the book on both camps, on both sides. Um, so you become attached to these people. And so you really need that many pages to follow all of these, you know, all of these stories through to their conclusion um, as, as they start to develop a society again and develop a government. And um, so it's, it's really a very interesting book. It's a Stephen King book. Yes. So um, it's not, uh, I mean, he's known for his development of characters. Yes. How do I mean, the pages? I mean, the total pages are what? Are we talking over a thousand? Yes, it, the, this version is one thousand one hundred and forty-one. That can be that can seem daunting, but yes. in his case, I think 
if you've read other Stephen King books, you yeah. can fly through this. It goes by so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because in his foreword um, to the new version, he says, um, although it has never been my favorite novel, it is the one people who like my book seem to like the most. When I speak, which is as rarely as possible, people always speak to me about the stand. They discuss the characters as though they were living people. Okay. Um, and so you don't necessarily need to... Sometimes you read a Stephen King book and you feel like you're missing all these references because he basically has this universe that he's right. created. Yeah. This is kind of outside of that. Other okay. than Randall Flagg, who appears in other things as sort of the dark man, um, because he basically burn society to the ground in this book it's not within that universe so you can get the Stephen King experience without feeling like you had to read all of these other books to get it was there something in particular that really struck a chord for you I think it's the different facets of life that he goes into I mean you get to see every piece of society things that you you wouldn't think about being gone um, post plague um, so you really get to see the inner workings of society. So for me, that was the really interesting piece. Very cool. Thank you very much. Yeah. Our next reporter, education reporter, Aaron Dietzer. Hi. How's it going, Aaron? It's good. Good. What was your selection? Um, well, first of all, it was really, really hard because I love books a lot. And so <laughs> trying to pick one, I just I tried to look for maybe something more recent to kind of shake things up instead of going with a classic. So I ended up picking Homegoing by Yaa Jesse. Okay. Um, she was born in Ghana and moved to the United States when she was a baby. Um, and when she was back visiting her home country and um, Cape Coast Castle, which is one of those awful places where they held slaves in the dungeons before they sent them over, she kind of got inspired to write this book. So how it starts is there's these two half-sisters who okay. don't know each other, who end up on very different life tracks. So um, Effia ends up marrying the governor who's there overseeing the slave trade in what is now Ghana. They called it like the Gold Coast back then. Okay. And then Essie is captured in a raid and taken to the dungeons, and she's sold off as a slave in America. So this is like in the 1800s then, are we talking Yeah, about? this is like okay. 18th century. Okay. Oh, 18th century. Yeah, 18th okay. century. It's earlier okay. than that. And okay. so then, like, the next 200, 300 years, it tracks their descendants. Like, in a series wow. of, like, connected short stories. Right. Like, they go back and forth for, like, here's Essie's son, Effia's son, and then, like, so on and so forth. So what I was really concerned at first. I'm like, this is an interesting idea. But when it's a series of short stories, how am I going to have enough time with these characters to care? But you do. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just so well. Sometimes it's heartwarming. Sometimes it's heartbreaking. Sometimes it's both. It's a very interesting take on, a like, a family saga story. I have never read Roots. Some people have compared it to Roots. I cannot say for sure. But and it's it covers a lot of interesting things. Like obviously, you know, the horrors of chattel slavery right. and segregation and things like that. But then you also get into other things. I remember one of um Essie's descendants is about he's work he works in the mines and so it kind of gets into kind of like the class conflict in, in the mines when they're trying to get their rights, but then you know if they try to split up the white workers and the black workers. And then also, I didn't know a lot about Ghana. Okay. And so it's interesting to see the Ghana storyline and descendants. You get into like like seeing their industry boom with crops. And then, you know, there's there, there's a war between one of the big tribes, like the Ashanti and um, like British controlled 
African colonies, which I, I didn't know anything about this stuff. So it's, it's really, really interesting. And obviously, you know, it gets, it gets a little heavy sometimes yeah. with, with the things you're dealing with, um, both in racism and in, in other ways, just violent ways or family drama or losing your kid or losing your parent, losing a sibling. But it's just, it's really good family, like character driven stories. Yeah. How would you describe her writing style? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think what makes it work so well, even though you don't spend a lot of time with the characters, it, it's, she has a very human touch on these big events. And she like makes you care by connecting you through this one person. So I think she she just kind of has that talent of drawing you in and drawing you into this person. So Very and good. it's her debut novel. So yeah, wow. I'm like, you go, girl, write some more. <laughs> <laughs> but so. she, does she have another one coming out? Not that I've looked. I've looked. Yeah. I looked before yeah, yeah. this to see if she did, and I haven't seen it yet. So I'm like, oh, okay. please don't just write one and be done. Yeah. Even though, like, I mean, if that was gonna be your one. And that's really good. Yeah. And then it kind of, not to spoil anything too much, it kind of does kind of bookend at the end. Okay. So. Okay. Which is nice. (laughs) (laughs) I had a lot of emotions reading this. (laughs) You you go through a lot. So I liked it a lot. So if you like historical fiction or like family saga kind of books, then I think it's really good. And it's not super long either. Okay. It's like. 300 some pages and because it's kind of in that short story style you know it's easy to kind of pick up and put down when you need to so if you're a busy person like we all are (laughs) it's a good (laughs) book for you very good thank you so much welcome now we come to our editor Dun, 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 dun. Hi, Sarah. Uh, Sarah Leach. I almost called you Sarah. That's all right. Oh my god. I don't. I don't consider that an insult. No, I wouldn't nope. either. But <laughs> what was your selection? So I, um, I went a little bit in a different direction, and I chose um, more of a. Uh, um, it's a very recent book, and it's a little bit politically polarizing. I chose uh, James Comey's "A Higher Loyalty," which was published in twenty eight. 18. Yeah. Um, the reason why I picked it is because there was a lot of press around that particular book and it was, you know, this was a, this was a person who testified before Congress and there was a lot of questions from the political spectrum on all sides about certain decisions that he made while he was the director of the FBI. And I just thought, you know, I'm just going to decide for myself. I'm just going to see what, what all of the fuss is about and just, you know, to see what it actually says. And so when I, I actually listened to it on audiobook, um, I think that the, these kinds of books actually are better that way because um, he was the one who narrated his own story. So you're hearing him tell it himself. And especially when you're in, in these, um, uh, these retrospectives, um, I think that nuances in, in the voice also help um, to understand like where, what they feel passionate about and how they really want to express themselves, not just like the flat words. Um, what I found most surprising is that a lot of people made this about how he ended his career in public service being fired as the FBI director by President Trump. Um, you actually don't hear anything about President Trump until like the last three chapters of this like 21 chapter book. Right. Um, 
this was it, it was incredibly interesting to me because he is doing it through the prism of leadership, and so I did not realize that he had quite a storied career up until the point where he was making you know these these headlines in like the last couple of years that's when I became like really aware of him but he started off as a as a lawyer and he joined um, the the US District Attorney's Office in the Southern District in New York and he actually was leading uh, prosecutions against the Gambino crime family. And so that's kind of where his most notable parts, uh, you know, of his storied career begins. Um, and he is talking about the mob and how it was such a unique um, thing to prosecute criminally because there are rules within the mafia and they have a code of honor and what that was and, and where the no-go zones were and like what was accepted and what wasn't accepted, you know, like considering that you're talking about criminals, I just like, that was just fascinating to me. And so he said, I actually learned a lot of concepts about leadership in a very unlikely place. And because this was such a unique experience, um, he ended up working for four presidents and two of them were Republican and two of them were Democrats. In various capacities, he stayed with the U.S. District Attorney's Office for a while. Um, then he got drafted into the U.S. Attorney's Office, and that was in the Bush administration. And then he starts kind of talking about these individual stories and experiences w that touch upon national things that that got coverage in, in their moment in time. But these are like behind-the-scenes conversations that people just weren't necessarily aware of. Like when Attorney General John Ashcroft was gravely ill, um, I, I believe he had um, pancreatitis, acute pancreatitis, and there was a conversation about the, the surveillance program that was going on under the Bush administration to um, surveil U.S. citizens that eventually came out later to the public, and there was a big uproar about it. But in the, in, at that time, it wasn't known, and so the administration was pushing for things to be approved through the U.S. Attorney's Office so that they could continue these programs. And Comey was actually pushing back and asking some questions about whether or not they could defend, defend some of this stuff legally. And they, there was this clandestine meeting at John Ashcroft's hospital bed um, where he was in and out of consciousness and and there were these people like standing around his his bed like trying to figure out who it was actually the acting attorney general was it him even though he was gravely ill or was it comey who was his deputy and where's the line in terms of like who has the power in those situations and so i just thought it was fascinating to hear those kinds of stories and you know i'm sure the the trump stuff the hillary clinton email investigation it was nice to learn from the person who was responsible for some of this stuff to actually justify what went into some of his decision-making. And I feel like having listened to his explanation of the timeline, it makes a lot more sense. I mean, I'm not endorsing his decisions one way or the other, but um, at least it was not arbitrary. And there's a lot of things that I feel like it, investigators on all levels they have to adhere by certain rules and limitations within the law, what they can prove, what they can't prove, what is legally justified in terms of, you know, taking something to trial or prosecuting something criminally. When does it rise to the threshold of X, Y, and Z? Learning about those nuances, I think, really made me a better, more informed citizen. Well, I remember when you were listening to this every day you would come in. I know. And I, was so, like a, I was really excited yeah, about it. You've got like a 20 minute commute, 25 yeah. minute commute. Yeah. 
And every day you were just like, guys, you won't believe this. What I just learned in the last chapter. <laughs> well, guys, it's you won't believe how many different like things he was a part of and, yeah. and witnessed or touched in some way or witnessed happening in front of him. Um, you know, the just um, power struggles um, at all various levels of the executive branch and the legislative branch, and um, you know whether he he knew that that. Um, that he wasn't going to last long under the Trump presidency. He knew fairly well early on that, that his days were probably numbered and that, and that he remembers reflecting on that saying, I'm not going to try to hasten that departure, but I'm not going to compromise who I am. And then all of the actions that he took, because I think that he knew that something was going to definitely end his time with the FBI and some of the concerns that he had um, moving forward. I thought it was really interesting that he said that he voted for president Bush. Um, I'm sorry. Um, Who did, who did Obama run against the first time? McCain. McCain. He voted for McCain. Um, He, he said that he really liked Bush. He, He worked under Bush and he thought that he had a very wily, almost mean sense of humor. (laughs) And then he said that he voted for McCain, but then, ended up really being charmed by Obama and was struck by the level of intelligence and shrewdness that he exuded, you know, and so you're, you're thinking you're working with four different presidents. You mm-hmm. get a chance to compare leadership pretty, pretty well. And, yeah. and just to see like what of his takeaways were the, of the different personalities of people that you'll never meet. I just thought that was fascinating. Sounds great. Please, please give it a try. <laughs> Despite all of the political stuff, just decide for yourself. Because I thought right. that it, if, if nothing else, he's just got a very interesting story to tell. Okay. Very good. Brian, what's your favorite book? I will wrap this puppy up. <laughs> Come last, on, you can't get out of it. Last but not least, uh, I selected uh, Confederacy of Dunces. Mm. I lived in Louisiana for 10 years. And everybody, all my friends said, you have to read this book. You have to read this book. And it's really tragic tale about the author but you read the book and um it's amazing that something that such a tragic figure could write something so uplifting and um comedic uh it was written by john kennedy tool in the i think it was in the late 60s who um had some mental health issues and eventually took his life his mom i think 10 years later is cleaning out his apartment his house whatever comes across this manuscript and it's just this yellow stained you know a couple hundred pages manuscript she shops it around to book publishers nobody wants it so she takes it to um this english professor at loyola university in new orleans and she says just please read this the guy's like i'll I'll humor this woman and and read this and he reads the first 50 pages and reads the next 50 and reads the next 50 keeps reading until he finishes it and says, we have to publish this book. Mm. Uh, the book eventually wins the Pulitzer Prize for fiction in 1980. Oh. So, although he's not able to see his, the fruits of his labor, mm-hmm. um, the book uh, just strikes a chord with anybody who, who reads it. And it definitely struck a chord with me because... What, what is the story? It's about... Um, it takes place in New Orleans and it's centered around... Um, um, <laughs> a Don Quixote type figure. His name's Ignatius J. Riley. Um, and this, imagine, uh, the book has been in what they call development hell for decades. 
Um, they've tried to make a movie of it with attached to John Belushi. Any rotund actor <laughs> has been attached to this. John Belushi, John Candy. Who all died um, tragic deaths. Uh, all, Chris Farley. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Zach Galifianakis was once tied to this. Mm. I think Nick Offerman was just in a, a play based on this. And the closest they ever made came to making it, uh, Will Ferrell played this guy. And he is... Um, uh, the world's out to get him. You know, he's that, he's, uh, he, all of his clothes are ill-fitting. Um, so he's at the center of this story. But he comes in contact and his mom's in the story. He's got a, a quote-unquote girlfriend. Um, this cavalcade of characters comes into this guy's life. And the way uh, Kennedy Toole writes it, it was the first story I ever read where it's like, where it's not, here are all the characters up front. It's not the Great Gatsby where oh. everybody's introduced at the front and it carries through. Yeah, the, yeah. Like every chapter, it was the first book that I ever read. Like here's a chapter introducing an ex character, like here's, a cascading. Yes. Yeah. Um, almost a what's that like Italian it's like, term? Like it's a building comedia. up. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, it all ties together at the end, mm-hmm. and it's just um, it. A lot of people um, say it's the most. It, it's probably the book that comes closest to reflecting that new orleans culture and the language i mean he gets the language down is it was he from new orleans i believe so okay. yeah and uh um i was just captivated by it i was like all oh, my friends right this is a great book so i really recommend it i know mardi gras was two weeks ago a mm-hmm. week ago last week, week ago, yeah. so um if you're a fan of southern culture or just new orleans in general i highly recommend it of which you are you spent some time in new orleans i you? have yes yeah. i have okay I think that'll do it. Okay. Thank you all for listening. This was our picks, book picks. Special edition. Special edition, yeah. <laughs> hey, of uh, from the newsroom. We hope you all enjoyed it. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.